This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. So it's kind of like a like a runner's high. You're kind of almost out of body while you're in those in those moments. <laughs> and it's getting dangerous because you're pissing people off. You, and someone like, pulled a knife on you too. So yeah, it's getting dangerous. Yeah, the first day of filming. <laughs> that was the first prank Rel ever filmed in his life. God, welcome to Thunderdome, <laughs> Rel. Like, uh, yeah. it's trial by clear, fire. Trial by blade. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. There are a few comedians who, in my opinion, have really pushed prank comedy in new directions. I'm thinking Tom Green, Johnny Knoxville, Sasha Baron Cohen, just to name a few, but I don't think anyone's doing it quite like Eric Andre. Eric got his start in stand-up, but truly rose to prominence with the Eric Andre show on Adult Swim, which, for anyone who isn't familiar by now, is basically a late-night talk show on acid, but in the best possible way. It's hard to tell sometimes, but beneath all the chaos of Eric's physical comedy and pranks, there is a craft that he's honed for five seasons of his show, and that he's recently expanded to film in the Netflix original Bad Trip. In our conversation, Eric explains the creative challenges of making a narrative prank comedy film, why he thinks his show has finally hit its stride five seasons in, and what he learned from one of the biggest bombs of his career. I've been there before. <laughs> All right, I'm closing Please. apps. Everything's happening. You have my undivided attention. I'm an open book. Uh. Oh no my question God. is too risque. This is a safe space. <laughs> I want you to have full journalistic freedom. You know what? I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I, you. But I support you. I support. <laughs> I want to be supportive of you. I mean, listen, as one black man to another, I really appreciate that Not level of support. I got you Thank back. you. <laughs> but I want to start, I always like to start at the beginning, you know, whenever I talk to my guests on this, on this show, because, you know, I always like to get a sense of what sort of sparked it all, because I know, you know, it's, it's well known now that you studied music at Berkeley College, but you decided to pursue comedy instead. And so, you know, what, I guess, like, what path did you see for yourself when you decided this is what I want to do? How did you go about? When I was finishing school, I went to school for the upright bass. Mm -hmm. And I, it just was becoming painfully clear as I was finishing college that the upright bass was not a future, really. For me, <laughs> I mean, may, I, I don't want to discourage anybody who's in school for the upright bass <laughs> or pursuing a career in the upright bass. But for me, I was like, what am I what am I thinking? I was having an existential crisis throughout college, as I think most people do throughout college. You have that quarter life crisis before you enter the workforce. And as my uh, shitty short lived band was playing shows all over Boston, <laughs> I started noticing flyers for like open mic comedy nights. And I just pivoted to stand up comedy on a whim and fell in love with it right away. And then I continued doing stand up and pursuing it. Uh, as I, uh, when I moved to New York City, but uh, nice. yeah, I knew I wanted to do something creative in the temporal arts, uh, performative arts, and uh, I just fell in love with comedy right away. 
knowing that you kind of went out you went into this on such a whim i mean like did you have any perception of like what it meant to actually create comedy because i think a lot of people yeah, I think I still think that there are some people who think I can do that, and some people can, and some people, you know, some underestimate can. how much work it takes. Yeah, no, it's a ton of work. It's trial by fire. It's like you learn by failing. It's a ton of work. The more you, you know, all the cliches are cliches because they're true. The more, the more yeah. you put into it, the more you get out of it. And yeah, it's it's to this day, it's still trial by fire. You're still falling on your face and your ear, your your failures are in public and you just got to learn from each failure. It's the greatest, yeah. it's the greatest teacher. So. Did you have a big failure? <laughs> what was your I think every failure? time I go out on stage or every time I film something, there's some failure, big or small. Um, right. Dude, one time I opened for Chris Rock in New Orleans and I bombed so oh. hard, like booed off the stage it was no. gut-wrenching and he was so sweet to me like backstage he gave me a big hug and and he was and him and his tour manager told me about like one time where he bombed in london and i know bombing is part of life but man did that audience hate me and it like never ended it was like i got booed and heckled off stage i wanted to kill myself and then like it's Chris Rock, so celebrities come to see his show. So, like, my, oh, agent, my agent called me the next week, and he goes, hey, man, Anthony Mackie said you suck. I was like, what, what, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, he was in New Orleans filming a Marvel movie or some shit, went and saw Chris Rock, and he was like, man, that guy sucks at comedy. And I'm talking to my agent, like, why are you telling me this? Let me, let me process this trauma. So now I mean, every that, time I see Anthony Mackie in a movie, I'm just like, yeah, well, I didn't like The Last Avengers, okay? You made Anthony. millions off of that, but I still didn't like it. <laughs> you may be worth $400 million, but I'm on basic cable, pal. I mean, because I feel like, I mean, what does that say about you to kind of push through that? Because I, I know, like you said, bombing is a part of life, right? Especially in the career of comedy. Like, you will get heckled. You will get bombed. Even if you, like, it's just, it's almost like a rite of passage. But, like, what, like, how do you kind of push through that and not say, like, oh, maybe this isn't for me? Because, I mean, that's, like, that's big. I mean, Chris Rock in New Orleans. Like, this isn't, like, you know, opening for some small comic in some unknown city. You know? Right. I mean, like, I bombed so much. I've been doing comedy stand-up for 17 years, and I've bombed so much before. It just, like, up until that point, I hadn't bombed that hard in a while. So that was, like, my most recent big bomb. Um, it's a part of life. Also, like, Chris is very sweet. I, like, right when I got off stage and he go, he gave me a big hug. He goes, don't worry, don't worry. And the first two nights I did fine. It was like the third night I fucked up. And he's like, don't worry, don't worry. And he goes, ask me what happened when Prince opened up for the Rolling Stones. I go, what happened? He goes, it was an arena full of people going, boo, you suck. It was like, they were like throwing bottles at him and shit. Jesus. So, and he goes, and he did pretty fine for his career. You know, so he, he talked me off the ledge instantly, which is very sweet of him. But I love that. So for you, I mean, like what, what was that point when you wanted to branch branch out of just doing stand-up because you know i'm talking about you develop writing you know shooting and writing the pilot for the eric andre what became the eric andre show so you know what i guess like did you always have that vision for yourself i guess like when, when did you decide i want to do stand-up plus this because most people just make a career out of just stand-up and doing specials and book and touring and all that but yeah i i always wanted to 
do something more visual and more uh i guess the word is psychedelic i, I, I yeah. had like i had different <laughs> ideas for the show in, in various forms and i also knew like each thing will help each other. If I build an audience with a TV show, I'll, I'll have an audience for stand-up. And if I build an audience for stand-up, I'll have an audience for coming to the TV show. So they kind of work in tandem. I thought like people that were just like road dog stand-up comics that were just pounding the pavement doing like the Chuckle Hut in Possum Ridge, Arkansas. That's kind of a <laughs> long, arduous way of like getting an audience versus yeah. television film, you know, that cast a wider net and you can build your audience a little bigger and quicker to come to your stand-up right. shows rather than just being like a travel traveling uh joke salesman man <laughs> but to that i mean you you obviously found such a sweet spot in this in this sort of like prank comedy and i i feel like you really have such a knack for it and so what a what as a performer what about sort of rolling around in that unknown is so stimulating for you as a creative i mean like what like what about that style of comedy really like like speaks to you spontaneity i think that like the comedy works based off an element of surprise and it's easy for my stand-up to get stale or when you're rehearsing a scripted scene too 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 much you, it can get stale quickly but when you are interacting with real people in a hidden camera prank scenario um it's impossible for your performance to be stale because you are you're using every part of your brain to improvise within the situation and mine the most comedy out of the situation so it forces you to be spontaneous and it's also like a high wire act it's, a, it's kind of like the highest stakes version of comedy uh you know because you're you're putting yourself in danger when it comes to uh season five of your show you know that was you had like a f what like a four year hiatus between it because yeah, you're we shooting made movie so we exactly. made four then we made the movie for three and a half four years like that. Then we, well we made the movie really like cash flowing like we're in production like that was three years and then it takes a year to make the eric andre show so it was four four and a half years between season but that's yeah. just because the movie was no small feat yes which we will get to in a minute yeah. but i mean i'm 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 wondering if you if you gained any new perspective kind of stepping away from from the show for that long because i would imagine that it's because it, it, the show is obviously not done I, I i hope you have more seasons in you and it's almost like stepping away from some you know master artwork and kind of seeing it with new eyes again so like coming back for season five like did you like what new perspective did you gain on on the show i you know i i think and i and i hope other people share this opinion that season five is kind of the best season yet we we really figured out so jeff germain was our head producer on 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 bad trip on the mm -hmm. movie and he came from you know f having 15 20 years plus experience over us with you know three jackass movies and bad grandpa he's made over you know 550 million dollars for paramount doing right. a hidden camera pranks so he was really our shepherd through this process and we learned so many tricks of the trade through jeff that like our kind of our our toolkit um just like got it got a steroid injection and like 
just these little like production tactics that he would do kind of like technical stuff that doesn't really seem like that big of a deal mm -hmm. or that would like yield much higher results but i think before when we started doing pranks on the eric Andre show at the beginning of the show it was really just like i would jump out of a trash can and go boo and scare somebody or do some big public stunt and just have people like uh as like kind of like jaw dropped observers while i was doing some crazy performance in the streets of new york but jeff started stressing the importance of the people you're pranking are the real stars of the segment and they get the biggest laughs so the more they're on the hook and the more verbal they are and the more they believe the premise and are responding to it rather than just kind of like a jaw dropped observing the bigger laughs you'll get so we really made sure this season of the or this most recent season of the Eric Andre show, the marks were on the hook and talkative and interactive. I noticed in the test screenings for Bad Trip, the, the actors aren't getting the biggest laughs. It's all the people we're pranking got mm -hmm. the biggest laughs. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, trust me, Rel was hilarious. Tiffany's hilarious. Michaela was amazing, hilarious. Um, but even funnier than them in the movie were some of the things these real people are saying it's because they're being completely genuine and they don't even know they're on camera they're, right. they're not even aware they're in the movie in fact we filmed them we, we we did so much of the movie so long ago we did the majority of the filming two three years ago that the, this movie's about to come out on netflix you know which has 200 million subscribers worldwide <laughs> And like these people are gonna be like, I'm a wait, I'm a movie star. Like I don't even like I vaguely remember some maniacs in a, a chicken wing shop in Atlanta, like <laughs> light me up. But I don't, you know. So I kind of learned that from Jeff, the importance of getting people on the hook and really getting them invested and gassed up and and getting them to believe because it's like pranking is like a magic trick. Getting mm -hmm. them to believe in the fiction of the premise as as a reality is is kind of the the magic trick of it all and that's what makes for the most entertaining possible uh, scene absolutely and i i mean i think i would agree and i think a lot of other people agree that season five is kind of like your it's it's the best season i mean Thanks, i feel like it's yeah. no it's not just me i feel like like look at the reviews like that's what a lot of if it's and it's so funny it's like again like it's such a chaotic show that you feel like it you feel like there is no rhythm to catch but there is like i feel yeah. like it's just it's it just feels like if it, it just felt like a really really well-crafted season and so right. yeah and i mean speaking of which it, it's obviously you know it's missing it's missing hannibal and it's just like yeah. you know sad sad but you know so i mean how was that for you because i know that you know this is a kind of what is that like for you moving forward with a project that without the person who started it with you you know, like this I, I is... was, I, I, I was, and still am, I'm crushed. Yeah. You know, but I couldn't, for, his mind was made up and I couldn't force him to do something he didn't want to do. And he felt creatively he had done everything he wanted to do on the show and with the show. Thank God, you know, uh, Lakeith came in, mm -hmm. uh, Felipe came in, Blanable came in. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, you know, fake Reese Witherspoon came in. <laughs> uh we had a bunch of kind of like a revolving door of uh people just looming over the guests because like that's kind of the most important role of the co-host in my show is just having this third person 
standing and hovering awkwardly over the right. guests so that when they go when when i'm like driving them insane to their breaking point and they're turning to this other person for salvation they're looking up at another psychopath <laughs> that having, to cope <laughs> <with> <laughs> having to cope with their own brand of psychosis so the formula for the sh show allowed the show to continue and yeah I, I i i'm still devastated that hannibal decided to leave but i, I couldn't force him and I, I just have to be happy for the amount of i'm, I'm happy that he did a proper send-off and he was on season five and had a proper goodbye and a cameo at the very end of the season. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a bummer. But at the same time, it was our best season yet. You know right. what I mean? And we really got the pranks down to a science. So I think um, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, totally. But I feel like I mean, did that when he when he didn't want to to continue on the show as like you know a permanent fixture? I mean, did that give you any pause on like? should i keep going myself <laughs> yeah totally i was gonna retire the show yeah. i was like five seasons that's good that that feels like a good amount of eric andre's show it should be done and even hannibal was like i'm down to keep collaborating but let's do, do something else i think like mm. what what i've done on the show has has hit my limit but then i got to the end of season five and my crew was so dialed in and my editors were so dialed in and it was so kind of smooth and it just felt so comfortable. This group of creative people I've, I've been working with since the beginning of the show were such like a cohesive family. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just like, I was at, I was like enjoying the editing the the end of season five so much and i was watching larry david go into his 10th season of kirby enthusiasm <laughs> and the always sunny in philadelphia guys going into their 13th season or whatever 12th or 13th season and trey parker and matt stone going into their like 29th season right. of south park <laughs> and i was like if i'm enjoying this so much why would i put it into it it's sad yeah. that hannibal's gone but we have such a family you know there's all these characters on the show and I'm getting bigger and bigger celebrity. I got Lizzo to do Bird Up. <laughs> yeah. And it just feels like the the stakes of the show have only continued to grow and the fandom and fan base has only continued to grow. I don't know. I was like, why? It was it's a bird in hand. Yeah. You know, and it's the only it's the only thing that I've ever done that I have pure creative freedom. Yeah. So I, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to let this go. Don't let it go. <laughs> yeah. Never let that go. Because that's something yeah. that people chase their whole lives to get. Exactly. Yeah. I don't <laughs> so, want to take that for granted. You know, yeah. I don't want to be cocky or egotistical about it. I want to to be appreciative of it. And yeah. Adult Swim just gives me like total carte blanche. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, Eric dives into the creative hurdles he faced making his latest film, Bad Trip. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. I want to talk about Bad Trip because, yes. oh my God. <laughs> I mean, you went through every emotion with it. I knew what I was, I knew what I was signing up for because obviously it's you. I knew what the premise was, but I just, 
just stressed me out. <laughs> just stressed me out. Did you watch it to the credits? Did you yes, see yes. the reveal of hugging everybody? That helped so much because yeah. I was just like, oh man. Like That's the headline. It should be like, watch the credits. <laughs> I want like, I want to stress that. Prank shows usually give me a like a little like a little bit of anxiety because I'm just like, oh yeah. God. But then just the fact that so much of it was set, you you and Lil Rel, two black men going in like <laughs> all these like incredibly white spaces and I'm just like <laughs> get out get out. it was very yeah. anxiety inducing but for those for those who do who 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 don't know the movie like I would love if you can just like set it up like what is tell us a little bit about the movie the premise of it well it's basically it's a narrative uh classic buddy movie buddy comedy road trip movie but it's told entirely through hidden camera pranks with the real people. So the cast is only me, Rel, Tiffany Haddish, and Michaela. You know, me, my best friend, the bad guy, and the love interest. And then everybody else on camera are real people that are inter not only, you know, being pranked, but interacting with the plot and shaping the plot, um, which was the greatest magic trick. So yeah, we're hoping it's like the next in line of, of, of this very new genre that, mm -hmm. um, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen and, and and the jackass guys kind of not created i think you know? so and you know to that point i mean how was it like for you sort of taking what you know but like but stretching it to an hour and a half movie and not just like a skit in an episode it's way harder because yeah. eric andre's show nothing's easy eric andre's show is not easy but like each segment can just live on its own exactly it doesn't have to like be narrative it, it it doesn't have to have any story plot points pay off it can just be completely psychotic and deranged and absurd and then just end and it only has to exist for like two minutes the scenes in the movie they all have to be grounded make narrative sense my character has to remain sympathetic throughout all 90 minutes where I don't have to be sympathetic in the Eric Andre show, I can be a total <laughs> mess of a human being in a different way. All my, yeah, because I, I can't be like intentionally destructive. Like my character couldn't be intentionally destructive on the movie because then he's not sympathetic. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of principles to movie writing that aren't the same principles to, you know, adult swim writing. Right. Um, which is its own niche. Yeah. And you have to give it like. Yeah. I love it because like you know everything it felt like every every setup helped move the story in some way because even like with the with the <laughs> with the gorilla that could have just been like some random goofy thing but you're like no i want to take a selfie with the gorilla to send it to, to, yeah. it'll impress her and then you know i don't even want to call that hijinks that was just assault <laughs> 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 was just... so so that was that that scene is a good instance of like we just had that prank and we knew if we pulled it off it would be like a big hit you know it got big the biggest laugh in the, the test screen and spike jones writing partner amanda came we were like going through the movie we're going through like an early version of this like not even a script like an outline of like what we had in mind and she's like the gorilla prank is great but you have to make it about the quest for maria mm -hmm. or it's going to feel completely episodic and detached from the movie so she goes, it can be a, something as simple as like, I got to get a picture because Maria loves gorillas or whatever. Just make it make it about the love interest that your character is pursuing 
don't make it just independent of, of the plot right. and it's like that little piece you know ha- had had her and spike and and jeff jermaine and knoxville not gone through all those trials and tribulations in bad grandpa we might have not gotten there we might have filmed it and not had that piece and had to film pick it up later or like the, it wouldn't have fit in the body of the movie or so that's like a good way of like differentiating the writing process between eric andre's show where the prank a prank like that can just exist on its own isolated without any narrative right because i would imagine that you this is one of those things like where you probably just had so much footage i mean even in like the red band trailer there's like a clip of you know tiffany haddish's character uh trina like escaping prison like clawing out of the dirt to get out for people listening i'm not spoiling anything i mean trina was bound for prison god bless her but you know i feel like and that's on to the final cut so like for this like what i guess i'd love to hear a little bit about like how like what did like about what actually made it in and like all the things that we may never see unfortunately yeah i'd say about like 80 to 90 percent of the stuff we filmed never made it to the God. final cut <laughs> but I, I talked to you know sasha baron cohen and and just talking to jeff and knoxville and spike like they said the same thing there's so much of bad grandpa that never saw the light of day there's so much of both borats and bruno that never make it's like like filming is part of the writing process in a roundabout very expensive way because you don't know how you're dealing with so much unknown you yeah. don't know how people are going to react to each prank you don't know if the prank's going to fit in the body of the movie um we're going to release a bunch of we we had a scene with chris rock in it that that didn't make it to the body of the film that we're going to release we had a few pranks that were like super funny on their own that just didn't make it into the just didn't make it they just didn't fit yeah. um into the into the body of the movie so we're going to release some of that stuff but yeah you have to film a tremendous amount and there's a lot of trial and error so is there another example of that i mean i'm thinking of the car wash scene right i remember in the credits that there was a different guy that you were pranking than the one who's actually in the movie we did each that's another thing it's like we did each prank two or three times um and we would pick the best Jesus. person or group of people out of each time and then on top of that thinking about how, how much the editors are burning a normal movie has one two maybe three cameras rolling max on a mm-hmm. scene or they have like the just one yeah. maybe we had like 19 cameras Jesus. rolling for every scene <laughs> and every scene is filmed like three or four every prank is filmed three or four times so they have to like toggle through like 19 camera angles figure out because like not only do you have like a bunch of like we called them adult cameras to differentiate (laughs) between the the small little gopros you have like all these little hidden gopros everywhere you have these like robotic security cameras that kind of like hide in bright (laughs) daylight and then you have like the adult cameras we call them which are just regular cameras but they're hiding in heavily tinted window passenger vans like secretly parked all around the location so um the editors have to go through so many more like reels of footage than than a typical project done it's it definitely has its own what's the term challenges for sure and you mentioned that bad trip is basically a a spin on the buddy comedy format but was that always your first choice i mean how did you land on this specific format no i mean we we even like we even went out and pitched like really whacked out ideas like the earliest version of the movie was like 
uh, me and Rel are best friends and we're losers. We're stuck in dead end jobs, which is the same. And then um, there was a film festival coming to town, grand prize, $10,000. And then my grandma was about to get evicted from her house and she needed $10,000 worth of mortgage. So I like, I need to film a crazy movie. It was really meta. It was like, I have to go all over town and film some crazy movie using real people because I'm like a burgeoning filmmaker that can't afford to hire actors. It was really in the weeds and meta. And as I'm saying it, it's like, like just think of how complicated that sounds. It's like a guy's filming a movie, but it's also a hidden camera movie, right. which is already a movie within a movie. So it was like a movie within a movie within a movie. We went all over town, all over Hollywood, and pitched it to all the studios, and they were like, "What the fuck?" Are you guys talking about? Everybody passed, and so we had to like kind of start all over again and and build it from the ground up. And we realized it couldn't be like this meta premise. It actually had to be like a very simplistic, iconic, tried and true premise which is the buddy comedy, you know, which has been done a, a million times, but it's important that it's like a very easily identifiable genre with easily identifiable tropes so that the hidden camera, you must want the scenes to be kind of like a predictable setup mm -hmm. premise, but it's happening in real life. Like the, the two black guys going into the country bar <laughs> is very like Eddie Murphy in 48 <laughs> hours. Like you've seen that scene, but we're doing it in real right. life, you know? So, or the, um, the makeup scene where I run on, I stop yes. the bus and I run <laughs> on to the see, We, we, we ripped that off. Like when Harry of met course. Sally, you know what I mean? Like that is like classic rom-com stop the bus, <laughs> stop the airplane. I have to tell the, the love of my life. You know, we ripped it off. Like, but we're doing it in real life in front of real people. So that's like, you want right. the like, like iconic scene. But then we flip it on its head by doing it. And right. Realize. And I'm just laughing so much because, yeah, as, as you said earlier, like the stars of the film are really the people having the reactions because that woman on the bus was like yeah. really like, getting emotional. And then, you know, yeah. at, the, at the at the at the restaurant, that one woman who was so invested in what was happening, like when Tiffany Haddish's character runs in, like, have you seen these people that you guys come in? And it's like it's she was so invested in like what was happening. She's the best. Her name Jackie, is Jackie because her husband's like, Jackie, you're talking too much. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And so, I mean, in those moments, I feel like and again i mean this is obviously a skill that you've honed working on the on the eric andre show for so long but i mean what is that like being in the moment and trying to like pull stuff out like you're you're again rolling around in the unknown you don't know how these people are going to react and so for you like how much of how much do you kind of poke and prod and try to pull stuff out like if you know if someone's not giving you the reaction that you want like how do you how do you sort of like maintain your mind is split where you're performing and you have to stay in your performance but you're also thinking two steps ahead of life in the editing bay later when you're looking at the footage and knowing what you need so i'm almost like an, an actor and a performer in that moment and also a director trying to pull a performance out of an actor who's not an actor who doesn't know they're performing who doesn't know they're being filmed right. And I, I can't like direct like a traditional director because I'm I'm also performing in the scene. So your mind is kind of split in four ways where you're like you're goading them and trying to pull information out of them. But you still have to commit 110 percent to your performance because they can't be like, wait a minute, is this real? They have to believe it's real and you need specific information out of them. <laughs> so your mind split a million ways and your adrenaline's just like going, 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 going. So it's kind of like a like a runner's high right. um you're you're kind of almost out of body while you're in those in those That's moments amazing. 
And it's getting dangerous because you're pissing people uh, off. You, someone like, pulled a knife on you too. So yeah, it's getting dangerous. Yeah, the first day of filming. That was the first <laughs> prank Rel ever filmed in his life. God, welcome to Thunderdome, <laughs> Rel. Like, uh, it's trial by clear, fire, trial by blade. But like, <laughs> I mean, for you, like, what, like, because I know this is this is obviously um, the director is the director you've been working with with the Eric Andre show, Katow. Yeah, yeah he's amazing, mm -hmm. and so. I guess like yeah. what what is that collaboration process like for you all because I, I it's it's almost like I would imagine you have like a shorthand like you've been working with him for so long and so like I would love to hear like what is what is your collaboration process like we go over I mean like he, he's my work husband <laughs> we go over every single square inch of every idea every single day but you know he's one of my best friends so that makes it easier um but we also like argue like an old married couple you know what i mean just because we've been he, we we've, we've seen each other at our best and our worst and the pressure of making the show and making the movie just makes your brain crack but we you know he's there from from uh from start to finish i mean like in the writer's room we have we bring a bunch of comedians in and we generate ideas together and he kind of works big picture in like okay we need this for the story and we need this for the prank to function properly and um and then we'll go and sift through the ideas together and uh dan curry as well our, our my, my writing partner like with like the three of us will kind of like dan's very additive and always coming up with ideas and 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 kitao's kind of subtractive and will like take the best of the best the cream of the crop and try to like trim out the fat so they're kind of like my mm -hmm. yin and yang flanking me as i'm like trying to like come up with ideas and kick the tire on ideas and be like use critical thinking to to make sure the ideas are um we're, we're using like the kind of top 10 percent of the ideas it's tedious you know we're writing and rewriting every day and then like we'll do like a little like rehearsal in in our offices kind of without the person we're pranking obviously but just kind of like walking through the beats of the prank that we want and seeing if it feels mean-spirited or unethical or if it feels good and not mean-spirited if it's funny if it's going to translate on camera if visually it makes sense and then we meet with department heads and go over props and costumes and sound and the camera approach and right. it's it's tedious it's like every little beat in the movie right has a bunch of minds on it chipping away at it making sure it functions nice. properly and real quick just last question because this is something i always love to ask my guests you know and yeah. given everything that we've discussed and just where you're at where you're at with your career right now i mean how would you how would you define creativity i don't know that's a good one i think uh finding out a way to express your specific nuance point of view and every person is a uh, some of their experiences and um the, the the makeup of the neurochemicals in their mind and um creativity and creative expression is figuring out a way to translate that uh your, your specific nuanced personality um through a through a medium of your choice love it love it that works this is a real pleasure thank you so much for your time yeah thank you too man i appreciate it 
Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Quick note, we're actually recording some of these interviews for our YouTube channel. So head over to the Creative Conversation playlist on Fast Company's YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe there. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast as well. See you soon with another episode.